Hey friends, it's DGS on DHP and it is a new year and we have an old message on how to share the good news with our friend, John Piverenta. John is an elder at Redemption Church, a recent church plant with Virgil Brown and other friends. John used to serve here as an elder at Hinson and his family is very still much uh, in touch with Hinson people and friends. And we were so glad that a few weeks ago, John came and spoke to us on how to share the gospel with friends and family using God's word and how he does this. And I hope uh, if you were there on Sunday night, you were encouraged. I think you'll be encouraged to even listen to it again, or if you missed it, here it is in full. Enjoy. I, you know, every holiday, you have these um, crazy relatives that just drop on in. It's kind of what I, what I feel like is going on here. So if I, if I haven't met you, that's, that's the role I play in this family. Parachute in every now and again and, uh, you know, check out the dinner. And, uh, if I haven't hugged you, come see me afterwards, and I would, I would love to do that, whether I know you or not. Um, I'm so glad, Liz jumped up, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully just going to reiterate, you know, what she does, what she's been doing. Uh, my desire is that you guys would grow in confidence, grow in effectiveness in sharing uh, the gospel and speaking the truth, uh, largely because it's not rocket science. It's, it's, uh, it's as basic as just speaking from what's in your heart. Um, so this topic is relational evangelism. Uh, so I want to think about that idea of relationship. I want to uh, just briefly hit on uh, three core convictions that are necessary. I hope what you see is, is what we're talking about is not a technique. It's more of a passion of, of your heart, more of a way of, of framing your whole life. Um, so three core convictions, love for Jesus love for his word, love for people. Uh, so I'm a poor salesman, but I can talk about things that I love. And if my love for Jesus is growing, it's going to show in the way I talk to my brothers and sisters. It's going to show in the way I talk to uh, my coworkers at work. Um, and uh, how do you grow in this love for Jesus? Well, a growing love for the word and in particular, in this context, what I want you to hold on to is not just the content, but this conviction that the Word of God is the power of salvation, that God uses His Word through the work of the Holy Spirit to raise the dead as we speak to them. Um, and so your ability is not as important as your willingness to speak. We're, lo we're looking to be faithful. Uh, so as we saturate our minds with the word of God, then it will change the way we think, and it will change the way we speak. Uh, and God will use that to change lives. And then the third one is, is uh, we need to love people. And in particular, just what Liz was talking about, is, is we need to show an interest in other people. We need to ask them questions about themselves and put ourselves into their lives, into their sphere, in order to 
understand them and hopefully share what we love as we learn what they love. Um, So as you get to know people, we pray that doors will open to share uh, the truth of Jesus Christ through his word. So to structure our time here, I'm just going to talk about how to love Jesus through his word and then how to love people the way that uh, a farmer loves his soil. So let me, let me front load that because that idea of the farmer is really kind of how I think of using the word of God uh, when I work. Those of you who don't know, I work at a warehouse late at night. And so um, I'm always bumping into people and sometimes I have the energy to, to talk to people. Uh, so if a farmer, what does a farmer do? Scatter seed, at least if you think of the biblical imagery of what Jesus does. Some soil is fertile, some soil is hard. Some people respond, some people don't respond. Um, I don't know who's going to respond to the truth. And I rarely have the opportunity to, to look at someone at work and just talk, through, explain the whole gospel. Usually it's just planting seeds. It's just a phrase here or an idea there or maybe using something that they're thinking about to kind of springboard to a spiritual truth. Hopefully that will uh, elicit some, some interest and a response that can build into a larger conversation. And farmers think long term. You know, there's a time for planting and there's a time for harvesting. So a lot of times, you know, if I'm sharing the truth of my talking about about. Jesus, it's, you know, I may be planting seeds now and not get any response for, for years. You know, there's, a, there's some people I'm getting some response from now that, that I've started talking to years ago. And so that's the nature of how I think of, of what I do with the word is just planting seeds and, and playing the long game. So thinking of loving Jesus through his word uh, in particular, in thinking of evangelism, uh, I want you to think about reading the word with a cultural mindset. Uh, and then we need to practice uh, what we're doing here. So as you meditate on the word, uh, the text should resonate with our culture, with how we think about our culture. So I've actually spent quite a bit of time over the last few years uh, thinking through Genesis 1 through 11. Portland is a very earthy, anti-authoritarian not religious, but, but kind of quasi-spiritual. Um, so when I think of Genesis 1 through 11, I'm thinking through doctrine like creation, thinking through ideas like gender, issues like sin. So I was recently speaking to a guy about racial conflict. And um, I mentioned that God created us to, to know him. And since we've rejected God, the the fallout from that is that we've rejected each other. So you see in the Bible, Genesis 3, what happens? Man sins, and he rejects God, and he's cast out of the garden. What happens in Genesis 4? Cain kills Abel. This is the pattern of our lives. If we're rejecting God, it's only natural that we're going to have conflict with each other. And this was a a little bit of a springboard to kind of help the person understand both how I view racial disharmony but in also kind of pointing back to, you know, the Bible actually speaks of these things. I, I told him that I, uh, you know, the church that I attend now, Redemption, is deliberately making a, a point to pursue diversity because we see in Revelation 7, every tongue, tribe, and nation is gathered together to worship God. And we feel like 
if that's our eternal future, we should strive for that right now. So this is the kind of stuff that, that just using the word, just talking to someone over a cultural issue, trying to open the doors to you know, some of the ways that I think about it. Uh, Romans 1 through 3 is great. It asserts that all humanity is held accountable to God because they should know about the truth of God from creation. They should know about the truth of God because of the way that their own conscience convicts them. This means that, that brothers and sisters, we can speak directly to people about God with the assumption that they should know some basic truths, even in Portland. So I could pull someone aside. I could pull you aside and say, you might reject the idea of God's authority. That's okay. But whatever standard you have, you don't even follow that. You, you, your own conscience tells you when you betray the right that you feel that you should be pursuing. So we all have this rebellion within us, and God wants to forgive us and deliver us from that. That's what Jesus is about. That's what the gospel is about. And even if the person rejects the authority of God, every single person struggles with a conflicted conscience. We don't have to wonder. You know, that's, a, that's just humanity as a whole. So we need to think more deliberately about how we speak to the issues of our culture. Um, in Acts, Acts 17, really all of the pictures throughout Acts, all of the gospel being explained is really applied to various cultures, various types of people. Acts 17, God says that he has placed people in their specific spots for a reason, so that they would seek him but he's not very far from any one of us. So I was getting to know a guy recently, and he was telling me how many times he had uh, just narrowly escaped death in his life. It's like, wow, that's amazing. God has been so good to you that he would keep you around this long. He must be trying to speak to you. Maybe you should listen to him. So I use that to kind of bridge and, and invite him to come, come to church. Come hear, hear more about it. You know, let's talk about it. And he dismissed me. Like, didn't want anything to do with that. But, but he's been super friendly with me since then, and he, he talks to me all the time. Just planting seeds. You know, and the, the door in God's timing, the door might open. Um, you know, I, uh, when I invite people to church, I often tell them that God still speaks to those who are willing to listen. So you should come and listen. Um, I'm sure I get rejected 10 times for every time someone shows an interest. That's Okay. We're just trying to be faithful. We're just planting seeds. Some, some actually do show interest. So I could go on with a lot more passages. What I'm trying to do at this point is to just kind of give you a brief overview of like how we should start reading the Bible, thinking more deliberately about what's going on in our culture. How does this, the Bible speak to environmental issues? How does the Bible speak to gender? How does this Bible speak to uh, authority that we can't trust? You know, how does the Bible speak to politics, racial issues? Um, we have answers for these concerns. And these are things that people are talking about, they're concerned about. But in order to have facility in making that jump, we need to practice. So this is the second half. Is like, this, this is what we're doing here. This is what we do with each other. Uh, you can think of your brothers and sisters here as the Petri dish for the cultivation of your, your love for the Lord and your competence. We practice on each other. So, how do you grow in your love for Jesus? 
well, I, I, I sing Oh Holy Night with you people. And I listen to, to Juliet pray and, and, and I gather together with you. And as I'm with you people, I should be talking about how wonderful our Lord is. And the more that I'm talking to you, this safe environment about who Jesus is, what he's done in my life, how special he is, just, just highlighting his character qualities, it'll affect the way you grow in your love for the Lord, and it'll give me more encouragement and confidence. And the more that that's just a regular part of my life, just talking to you guys about how great the Lord is, it becomes a lot easier than when a non-believer comes around and I can say, my, my pastor preached today from John 1 about how Jesus is just inviting people from all over so that they would come and know him. You know, we have such a good God. You know, so that's uh, just, just practicing on each other. We should be talking about how wonderful the Lord is with each other. Um, and we should be getting together to do this. As for content, I'm going to say specifically, uh, we should tag specific elements of the gospel, two verses. Uh, so Michael talked last week about God, man, Christ response. My little Aubrey's eight years old. She could go through the gospel with verses for each one of those. Otis the six, if he would sit still, he could probably do it as well, but his patience is not so great. Uh, so it's not that difficult. And I'm not going to do it now because there's some verses in your, in your handout, but that's something that you should, you should be able to do with each other. You know, what do I, and, and work on that with each other. Whatever passage you're reading is one of the things about being in a church like this is that it doesn't matter if you're preaching from Numbers or from Revelation, you're going to hear the gospel from the passage. So whenever you're reading the Bible with each other, one of the things you should be doing is where do we see the gospel here? And if I can see the gospel in the text there, then when I'm reading the Bible on my own and I'm able to point out, like, here's the gospel, it's just my mind is saturated in this truth. And then when I'm at work, it's, it just becomes more easy, becomes easier to speak to people about what I'm learning, what I'm into, what I'm interested in. Um, so you should practice with each other. You should be getting together um, with the Bible, to go through the gospel together with each other, uh, and to think about what are the cultural issues that, that and how does, does whatever text we're looking at speak to that. Um, so part of your regular flow should be getting with each other. And I would say you should be doing this in public. Um, and this is the transition to the, the next part about loving the lost. It's probably my most significant contribution here because kind of a major pattern of my life is to read the Bible with brothers and sisters in public as a platform to explain the gospel. So um, remember, you don't need to be skilled. You, you, you just need to read the text out loud. Um, so here's one way it works for me. Uh, so I, at lunch at work, I read with a coworker. We read a, a few verses. Uh, we're working through Hebrews right now. And uh, it's just me and him, read a few verses, just talk about what's, you know, what does it say? What's jumping out at us? And in the lunchroom, there's like three or four people sitting around that have absolutely no interest in what we're talking about. It's a captive audience. They are, they've, we've been with them for, for weeks, for months, and just kind of working with each other. 
And it's clear that a lot of them are listening. A lot of them are aware. There's one guy that for months has sat right behind my, my friend. And so I'm at a point now where even though I'm talking to my friend, I can address the dude sitting behind him just because he's been there for so long. So, and, and I'm at a point where I, I can actually, I've I'm, I'm been praying and looking for an opportunity to just pull him aside and say, hey, you've been hearing us for a long time. What's going through your head? Um, so uh, this is scattering the seed broadly that, that um, people listening it, it will, God will use that to pique their interest. I've seen people respond to the Lord when I'm not even talking to them. You know, they come in and, and have questions, want to be a part of it. So um, sometimes when you have a conversation with a non-believer, uh, it does become spiritual, and you get the opportunity to um, invite the person to come to church or, or, as significant, to invite the person to go out and, and speak to them more directly, what what Liz was saying, like, you know, let's read the Bible together. Um, I would say that, that uh, definitely look at that book that, that Michael referenced one-to-one. Um, but I want to walk through it with you a little bit about how I do it, just so you can kind of see. Mostly it's what I do is I sit down with the person, open up one passage, just kind of read it with them, and then just try to ask them questions. Try to help them think about what's going on with the text. What does it say about people? What does the text say about God? What might God be saying to you from this text? And then, and then we trust the power of the word. Um, so I'm going to jump to John 4. If you have your Bible or your phone, uh, you can jump there. And uh, I'll do this with you. Uh, I, for right now, I won't wait for responses from you guys because just for the, uh, the awkwardness of the stuff, it won't work. So I'm going to read the first part of John 4 and just kind of show you how this looks for me. Uh, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman. You don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where, where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us well and drank from it himself and did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give will give him, will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go and call your husband. He told her, come back here. I don't have a husband, she said. You've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. You've had five husbands. The man you have now is not your husband. 
what you've said is true. Uh, sir, my seer, a prophet, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say Jews should say the place of worship is in Jerusalem. I'm going to stop there. It'll go on, but just to jump into it. Um, so, you know, I might want to ask them, just, you know, if they have any familiarity with the Bible, what, you know, what do you know about the culture, the context that set this? Because it's actually quite significant. In the first century culture, the, there was hostility between Jews and Samaritans. Um, there was great social taboos between a dignified man speaking to any woman, much less this person who is an immoral woman. But yet it says in verse 4 that he had to go to Samaria. So John wants us to know something about who Jesus is. So what kind of vibe do you get from Jesus when you read through this? What is he like? How's he treating this woman? Well, he's showing her respect. He's showing her dignity. Um, he speaks to her and asks for help. So what's the difference between the water that she has and the water that Jesus is offering? Well, she has real natural water, and he's got some kind of living water. Um, the natural water works for a little while, the living water goes on for eternal life. Okay. So you could talk about that for a little while. Um, if you wanted, you could pause and go back to John 3. John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you can't go to the kingdom of God until you are born again. You must be born by the Spirit. So you make a connection there between the living water Jesus offers and the new life of the Spirit that's offered by in John 3. But look at verse 15. She's, she's bought in. Sir, give me this water so I won't go thirsty. She wants it. So why does he put it all on hold? What, what's this about the husbands? Why would he expose her deep personal pain and sin? Uh, maybe, maybe we wouldn't answer that right away. But um, maybe we would. But... I want you to think about the disposition of Jesus in this moment. I mean, he's not offended by her. He's not attacking her. What's going on here? You notice his, his gentleness as he's trying to draw her out. He's, he's patiently guiding her to a deeper truth. And, and in verse 19, she totally changes the subject and he just goes with it. You know, so he's, he's so patient in this process. So what I want you to know is that Christianity is not a method. Christianity is not a religion. It's not hoops that you jump through. Christianity is not rules. Our, our faith is, is a person. It's trust and confidence in this guy, in Jesus. For you to know God and to have eternal life, you need to know Jesus. There are a thousand reasons why Jesus should not be with this woman here. But verse 4 says he had to go there. He had to go speak to this woman. But this is what Jesus is like. He goes out of his way and puts himself in your place to be with you and to talk to you. Just like he's put me right here. And he's even speaking through me now to talk to you. So in verse 16, he reaches out and he touches 
her deepest pain like a good doctor diagnoses a sick patient. He wants to heal her. He wants to forgive her. This is why he had to go to Samaria. Look at, jump ahead uh, just for the sake of time. Verse 39. Um, when the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what the woman said, she testified, he told me everything that I did. But that's not shame. It's a sense of wonder. This guy knows all about me. But they believe and trust him in that context. So Jesus is bringing her baggage into light for a reason. All of us were created to know and have an intimate, eternal relationship with God, but we all have baggage. We've all rebelled from God in different ways, and this rebellion has separated us from God and, and earned his judgment. But what kind of response does God give? He sent his son out of his way to save us. This woman has her, shown her rebellion uh, by seeking one husband after another husband after another husband and has left her a social outcast. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates his own love in that while we were rebels, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While this woman was with her sixth man, Jesus went to the cross and received her punishment. So he brings her sin to light because her greatest need is not water. Her greatest need is forgiveness. And that reconnection with God that he offers, that's the eternal living water that he's offering. What do you think Jesus would be saying to you if he went out of his way to speak to you? So uh, I'll close up this section. Let's look at 39 to 42. I read 39 to 40. When the Samaritans came to him, they, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this is really the savior of the world. What jumps out at you from these verses? Are they repelled by Jesus? No, he goes into their town. They're drawn to him. They believe. Why do they believe? Because they spent time with him. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this Bible. I want you to go home. I want you to read through John and just write down questions, write down ideas. And let's get together again. And you can ask me more, but I want you to, to spend time with Jesus, to meet with him, because he's not far from him. Um, so partly, you know, we could continue the conversation, depending on how it goes to whole repentance and faith and everything. But partly what I want you to see is that we're playing the long game. We don't have to force a decision in the moment. We don't have to coerce any particular thing. We're just engaging in conversation. And as it opens up, you know, we just see what the Lord does. And the Lord is faithful. He'll use his word. And if the person doesn't respond, it's fine. They may respond at some other point in the future. 